0: Our world started with a data explosion marked by an exponential growth in the volume, velocity, and variety of data being piped in and out of organizations. However, despite this new wealth in technology and data, businesses had never been so challenged to drive revenue growth, plagued by dark, siloed, unusable data rendering their go-to-market motions useless. Until one day, the most courageous data heroes took back control of their company's most valuable asset, transforming their customer data sets from a burden to a true system of insight, capable of automating sales motions, delivering personalized marketing programs at scale, and driving predictable revenue growth for their business. Welcome to the Data Heroes podcast powered by Ringlead.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another version of Talk Data to Me. We've got a very special guest today, Courtney Toby uh, from Avid Exchange. She's the marketing operations manager and a two time Marketo champion. Welcome to the show, Courtney.
0: Thank you, John. I'm excited to be here today
1: and we're excited to have you. Um, the first thing our audience always likes to, to kind of understand is a little, a little bit more about you personally. And so I'd like to ask what your story is um, that created this data hero?
0: Yeah, so I definitely had a little bit of a unique path in terms of how I got to this marketing operations role that I'm in today. Um, So I was actually an English major in college. Um, And after college, I sort of decided to go into corporate communications, um, working for a company called Assurian out of Nashville, Tennessee, because what do you do with the English major? That was the question that I always got asked in college. So I started writing, doing internal communications. Um, after working in that role for about two years, my dad tried to convince me to come back Worked for him for our family business out of Louisville, Kentucky. It was a direct marketing firm. um, And he convinced me. I I er, accepted that job, moved back to Louisville, and was working as a marketing department of one um, for him. So I was really doing everything from um, helping him create websites, um, helping him with the print collateral. So coming up with a copy, working with the graphic designer on the design, um, helping launch new products. Um, And at the time, He he was trying to, you know, help expand the scope of of what I was understanding in in marketing and really um, empower me to make it my own and and focus on the parts of the marketing role that I really enjoyed. And so he sent me up to a conference um, in New York and I was walking the trade show floor and stumbled across the marketing, their Marketo booth and um, started talking to them and was like, wow, this is an awesome technology. I think this is something we can definitely use. So um, I went back to to Louisville. I started making this internal business case for him as to why I thought we needed this Marketo platform um, and and how we could not only use it for our own internal marketing purposes, but really resell it to customers. Um, We were trying to figure out a way to expand our scope outside of just the traditional print offering and thought it was something we could really add on to our service offering for them. And so I did a little informal RFP. I evaluated HubSpot, Acton, Marketo, and there was a, a tool specific to the print industry called Mindfire. Ended up selecting Marketo and just sort of went from there. I, I, I taught myself the platform. I implemented it internally. I really enjoyed learning the whole thing. Um, but after working for my dad for two and a half years, he ended up selling the company. I relocated to Charlotte, North Carolina and started working for a company called Premier Inc. and sort of went back to my traditional, um, you know, English major roots, was working in content marketing again. And the person who was managing um, the marketing automation platform, Marketo, left they were asking around if anyone knew how to use it. I raised my hand and sort of got back into that role. Um, So after that, I worked for a small agency here in Charlotte and then moved into the marketing operations role that I'm in today at Avid Exchange. And it's truly something I'm I'm very passionate about. You know, if you had asked me back in college if I would be working in technology, I would have told you no. (laughs) But I've enjoyed every step of the journey as to how I've gotten here and, and really Um, how I've sort of gotten to see like MarTech allows you to use like your creative side of your brain, but also a very strategic side of your brain um, getting to see how both pieces of that overall like marketing picture sort of comes together with the data and the creative to, to generate results. So it's been something I've really enjoyed.
1: Yeah. I think that it's very unique to see somebody in a, in this operational position that has a background in, content, a major in English, and direct response marketing, like, (laughs) how are you just doing systems or do you like tell your, you know, your, your, your marketers to shorten their message, get to the point, make their offer, put a tripwire in like, are you, (laughs) are, are you strategic also in like helping them to do better marketing?
0: Yeah, so that's actually been a really cool thing that I've gotten to see over my three years almost at Avid Exchange is I think my team is now really viewed more as a strategic partner. So like, yes, we help with the day-to-day campaign operations, but we're also pulled in like very early on um, to help sort of shape the go-to market strategy. Um, Our team of campaign managers work with my team on a daily basis just in terms of like overall strategy, how can we think about things differently, how can we leverage the full Scope of our technology stack to make a campaign really stand out. Um, so that's been a really cool thing to see us getting pulled in more from this strategic level. Um, and also, something we've really gotten to see is um, you know, when I first started at Avid Exchange, uh, we were truly just supporting the demand generation organization. Um, but a little over a year ago, we transitioned from HubSpot to Marketo. And with that transition, we've gotten to see us our support or scope of support expand from just supporting demand gen to really the entire organization in terms of how we execute campaigns, what systems we need to use, helping um, data flow across you know the entire organization in a more seamless way, leveraging that technology stack. Um, and also just how we can really streamline a lot of business processes that are still manual. So it's been a very exciting journey and that's part of the work that I really love is just seeing how how marketing operations knows one small little team in an organization can really help shape the overall growth of the organization in terms of how we're streamlining processes, building efficiencies, and just helping data flow in a more seamless way across the entire organization.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, I see Marketo less as a marketing automation system and more of like a lifecycle management system at this point. Sure. I mean, it's gotten... So broad, where you can you can follow a profile from beginning to end, and and, and assist with every department. Um, Definitely. But you know, back to kind of you personally, you know, what would you be doing today if you were not <laughs> this marketing automation guru?
0: Yeah, well, if I was talented enough, my dream job would be to be a singer. Like ever since I was little, I thought like, you know, being a rock star would be really cool. But unfortunately, that's never going to be in the cards for me. Um, but my other dream job, I used to tell people I wanted to be the next Katie Couric. So maybe a journalist of some sorts.
1: Well, it's never too late, but I, I think you got a lot to accomplish in this in this role and in this Martech community uh, before you go out and you know become the next Katie Couric. But I, I'll look forward to seeing you on TV someday.
0: <laughs> Thank you. This is sort of a fun you know go between. I get to do marketing operations and have cool conversations, so it's a good compromise.
1: Absolutely. So um, you know, basically, you've moved you've used multiple systems you were in HubSpot and you'd done an RFP across all the platforms and and sounds like you probably had some influence on your company moving to marketo yes. um, I'm sure there were a lot of uh, people who had part of that made that decision but you were probably a key influencer so sure. um, why did you decide to personally brand around marketo
0: yeah, so I think I got really fortunate in the sense that Marketo was the first marketing automation platform that I ever worked in, that I that I learned. And, um, you know, I, I really was used to getting the full functionality of what a marketing automation platform can do. And when I first, so I used Marketo now at four different companies and Avid Exchange was the first place where I went into the role not working strictly out of Marketo. And they were working out of HubSpot at the time. And for me, it was really a big challenge because a lot of just the easy day-to-day things that I was used to being able to leverage in a Marketo was not easy to do in HubSpot. So it actually, you know... Took me trying to figure out a lot of workarounds. How can I solve for this? Something that would have been a really easy, you know, engagement program out of Marketo. How do I build that and HubSpot? Um, So it was a big challenge for me. And I think going through that experience, it really opened my eyes like, wow, I've been very fortunate to like get to learn this tool from day one, get to work in this tool from day one. And it's just been such a wonderful community that I've been a part of as well. Like the online community that Marketo has, um, getting to be part of the champion program, the the salespeople I've gotten to work with at Marketo, like everyone has been so helpful. Um, the the um, implementation that we did at Avid Exchange was really challenging in the sense that, so we had two separate Salesforce orgs uh, for two different sides of our business, the buyer side, and then what we call our supplier side. And the whole part of this RFP and what I was tasked to go and do was try to figure out how we can get one marketing automation platform that will pull in data from both orgs of Salesforce. And that was really challenging it was a unique architecture it was leveraging some sort of middleware to be able to go and do what we needed to do um, and marketo throughout that whole process just really stepped up they brought in their experts they they introduced me to um, middleware you know um, companies that would be able to help with what we needed to accomplish um, and so from that whole experience and just the my understanding and involvement in the marketo community it just has been a great experience for me learning the marketing automation platform, getting to meet people from all over the world that it just felt very natural for me because it is something I'm so passionate about. Um, And and getting to sort of leverage that tool and have worked in it for so long now, um, it just was a natural step for me to really brand myself around the tool because it is something I've experienced firsthand, how it makes a big difference when you're used to having, you know, this robust functionality and then sort of going backwards. I was like, wow, this is, I'm very fortunate, very lucky and want to make sure, you know, I'm able to share how good of a tool this is to as many people as I can.
1: Yeah. You know, I think I, I ask that question a lot and and it, and it comes down to, well, we need enterprise level functionality, even if we're right. a, an SMB grow, growing because everybody needs flexibility and control right. of you know unique situations. And then the second was like, well, Elik was also really enterprise ready but Marketo has this community and For there's sure. people that are online. There are champ there there's a champion program, there are user groups, there are right. Like, right. you know, all these people like if I go into the community I, I can get help with anything. And I just right, think that's so sure. refreshing. So, you know, let's switch gears a little bit back to the data here and just kind of understand how you approach data. Um, you know, the the first thing that I always look at um, to align sales, marketing, development, like Right. The, the executive alignment. It should start yes. with data. And, and a lot of people call it like ideal customer profile, ideal account profile. Um, how do you guys use data to zero in on specific profiles, uh, first company profiles and the people that you're going to want to align your organization to go after?
0: Yeah, so this is a a great question, actually, and it's something that's very timely for us um, because, as I mentioned, we sort of Completed our big implementation into Marketo with these two different orgs of Salesforce just at the beginning of 2020, and as you know, 2020 turned into a very interesting year. Um, We were very thankful to be in that new platform so we could easily stand up and execute the scale of campaigns that we needed to be able to. Um, But right now, we are getting to the point where we can start to sort of iterate upon what we implemented and how do we take this to the next level and Um, you know, cleaning up that data that we have in both orgs of Salesforce is a huge initiative that we are working on today. Um, figuring out how we build out a scoring model for our accounts, but also um, we're working with our data science team right now to try and figure out how to build like a um, MQL likeliness regression model that we can use for scoring within Marketo. Um, so right now we're mostly using just a behavior lead score with some demographic functionality, um, but really being able to take a look at the existing customers that we have, um, doing another layer of sort of evaluation on top of that and trying to be able to better identify who those people are earlier in our journey. um, Using that type of lead scoring model is a big initiative we're focusing on right now. And then, of course, account-based marketing, you know, that's been a really hot topic over the last couple of years. And I would say we're really in the early stages of rolling that out at Avid Exchange. Um, and, and this is a very exciting project, but I think something that's so important to think about when you're working on account-based marketing is the cleanliness of your data. <laughs> um, you have to be able to start with your data in a really good place in your CRM system to effectively do account-based marketing. And so there's a huge cleanup initiative um, that we're focusing on right now to start to transition to accounts. So we've been previously mostly working out of that lead object, and that can oftentimes, you know, as I'm sure you know, create some issues where if leads aren't converted to a contact, there could be duplicate lead records that also have an existing contact or there are leads that are not associated to an account. Um, There are account owners that don't match the contact owner. Um, And so a lot of just foundational cleanup work that has to happen um, on both, you know, the growth operations side of the house like it's a truly a big partnership effort with sales ops and marketing ops that needs to happen to be able to sort of build these processes out at your organization and we're in the yeah, thick of it sure. all right now
1: <laughs> well it's a fun it's a fun project to pick up like i always tell people it's an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure and um, for sure. you know, cleaning yep. data is not fun right, <laughs> but,
0: right. <laughs>
1: So, you know, it sounds like you guys are going to take on some ABM initiatives and yes, there's a lead table or a person table in the marketing system. And then there's this, you know, account table in Salesforce. And right. those two tables don't typically work very well together. So, <laughs> right. um, you know, I guess the, the question is two pronged. One is if you can't link leads to accounts or convert them into contacts, you um, what are the ramifications of that, whether it's you know routing attribution, et cetera? And then how do you accomplish you know making that connection between a person and an account?
0: Yeah, that's another great question. And I think something that every organization struggles with in one way, shape or form. Um, one thing that we're experiencing is um, you know when we're reporting out to leadership, they really only care about the accounts. Like who are the accounts that we are marketing to? Are they in our TAM and SOM? Um, are they the right people at those accounts? And with um, the way that everything is set up in Marketo it is all at the person level. Um, so we've been really recently focusing on our marketable database, meaning who are the people in Marketo that um, we can actually email, you know, who have a valid email address, who've not unsubscribed. And what's been challenging and interesting is that leadership is wanting to see that reporting at the account level, not at the person level. So we've been working once again with like our, our data science team and our growth analytics team on how we even match that data up. How do we marry the information that we have in Salesforce with accounts when we don't have leads associated to every single account in Salesforce? How do we tell the story of who is marketable in terms of these accounts when we have multiple people in our Marketo database who are associated to one account? So if one person is still opted in? Does that make that whole account marketable? So it's it's a very interesting conversation that we're having in terms of how do we talk about this data? How do we understand it? You know, is the account approach the best way to look at these things or do we focus more on the person level? Um, and it's an exercise we're going through right now, um, trying to pull a lot of that reporting out of Marketo and into like a Power BI environment so that we can better associate these things um, to what we have in Salesforce and try to identify um, the people, make that association to the account.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's critical. You know, one of the biggest ones I always it's near and dear to my heart is we used to go to so many trade shows, and now we're doing digital events, and yes. we get so many signups for these things, and we come home, and it's like you're competing to get that list into Salesforce right. and 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 get it or Marketo and as fast as possible, probably for Marketo because sure. that's the best practice.
0: Yes, but yeah. at the end of
1: the day, like list curation can be such. A pain and part of that is like you got a list of people they need to be tagged to accounts and then we get to this leadership meeting at the end of the quarter and like hey we spent all this money on these trade shows and like nobody bought anything from us i'm like well right if if you were at the booth you would see that about 50 companies that we ended up selling to later, or our customers and upsold, were actually meeting us there. It's just the person that met us at the booth went and told right. somebody else who went to the website, and all of a sudden, you know, for the sure. website's getting all the attribution for the that, you yeah, know the that opportunity.
0: multi-touch attribution. Yep.
1: Yeah. So sure. you know, I, I I I think that that that's one of the biggest challenges. But um, you know, back to kind of just how you guys use data, right? You know, we've had um, a lot of people come to us and say, hey, we've got we've got Marketo or Ellic or Pardot or whoever sending us these out of compliance emails all the time. And I know I've got bad right. data in there. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's like invalid emails or like you said, maybe these right. people aren't even associated to the TAM, right? Um, right. Sam. So what what do you kind of do to make sure that you keep that storage tied to prospects that are going to be Viable maybe for your for a purchase, but also community um, building.
0: Right, right, yeah. I mean, that's a, a great question. Um, sort of going back to just like data management overall. So, we, my team does like pretty consistent audits in terms of just who is falling into that. Um, unmarketable space. We have a tool called Zero Bounce that we use to help identify like invalid email addresses to continue or not, or to ensure we're not continuing to email those people. Um, we have implemented an intelligent lead routing tool to do a better job of like improving the overall prospect and customer experience so that if someone new does come in through a form or a trade show or webinar or anything like that, they're not getting routed to a new person every single time. So that's a huge piece of that lead to account identification. You know, um, that's not a great customer experience if every single time you talk to a company, you're talking to someone different. You have to tell your story over again. Um, So we're really actively working on trying to make improvements to that. Um, and then just like our segmentations is something that's super important to us. We're very vertical heavy in terms of how we go to market. So trying to identify earlier on in the journey what bucket this prospect falls into so we can send them more relevant, more targeted messaging um, and better nurture them along the journey is like a huge focus of what we do in terms of data. And a lot of that comes from Salesforce. It comes from appending data via Zoom info, um, progressive profiling that we use on our forms. So that's another big piece. Piece
1: that I would say we really focus on. So do you guys internally, it sounds like you have zero bounds. I have a question about them, but I'm asking about Zoom Info first. Um, yeah. Do you internally, do you have Zoom Info license for both sales use and marketing use?
0: So not Currently, it's mostly lives within our sales ops function um, and they have like a cleanse that they do, I think, every Sunday to really help append a lot of the net new data that we have. Um, But yes, that's something we're definitely looking into because I would love to be able to add that to forms so that a lot of that data pins automatically upon submission or be able to just better use that in terms of how we're targeting within Marketo.
1: Yeah, we found that. Zoom Info is an amazing foundational source. They've got a breadth oh, of information sure. across, you know, technographics intent contact. Definitely. Obviously, my sales team loves the direct dial phone numbers, but sure. in marketing, we like, you know, industry, employee size, revenue, all these other attributes that we can use. And um, Definitely. but zero bounds email deliverability. I mean, this is like when I if I talk to a Marketo admin, it's like I swear it's eight times out of 10, they're not using something like zero bounce because Marketo doesn't, it says valid, invalid, right? Like they'll tell you something valid or invalid, but they're not really using a service that, you know, I think zero bounce has like 28 different signals or details that it can send back with a status. So do you use any sort of like Marketo uh, normalization programs to take those codes that it sends back and like, Set groups to quarantine or do other things so that you're not so, sending really bad data into sales?
0: That's a project we're actively working on right now. Um, and th- that's a really good point that you bring up. But like, I would say, you know, the email piece of a marketing automation tool, just like being very specialized in that, is not always the same skill set, right? As like the Marketo admin. And so that's a business case I built um, last summer internally as to why we needed someone on the marketing operations team and the digital marketing team solely dedicated to email. Um, Because in the COVID world, we um, scaled our email marketing like five times of what we were doing before and so we now have a dedicated person on our team to really pay attention to those deliverability metrics Um, she was who suggested a tool like zero bounce and is monitoring that closely we're now evaluating like how we because it's different licensing levels in terms of the functionality that you get so now we're like looking at adding that into marketo like upon form append um, you know updating our database on a consistent basis so we can better understand who we actually have in our marketable database that we can actually email what the different reasons are. Um, so then we could use a tool like a Zoom info or something to try and, and clean that, get like the BBM team to work it so that we can try to like get those names that we don't have as a marketing person in our database anymore, someone we can market to again. So um, she's been Tremendous help to our team in terms of just our overall email marketing strategy, what we need to focus on, how we can make our actual emails better in terms of offer, EB testing strategy. Um, so really been a great to have her on board.
1: Yeah, you know, there's just about nothing that can drown your business faster than reaching blacklists and not being oh, able sure. to deliver emails, especially at yeah. this time. And I think you know, Zero Balance is such a cool company. If you go onto their website, like you can buy right off their website. You can calculate your prices. You don't need, like, you literally right. don't need to talk to anybody. They have For APIs sure. that can be plugged into, you know, uh, enrichment programs and stuff. And, yeah. Um, Yeah, Yeah, we're actually
0: working on a cool like one off project on the supplier side of our business where we're automating what was a um, completely manual like direct mail project. We're now automating how we capture that data um, running. So we're using Workado for all of this. Running the emails that we get out of Salesforce through Zero Bounce before we even put them into Marketo to make sure that they're actually like viable email addresses that we can send to. And now going to be emailing those people instead of doing the direct mail send from the get go. And then we're also looking to add like a trigger based direct mail uh, functionality like a PFL or a LOB um, so we can fully leverage like a multi-channel um, strategy for this what was a previously all manual like we had um, a team member actually like going into an excel file pulling out the data points from excel like running it through a manual what we call like a vendor match process then uploading the list to the direct mail vendor we're, we're automating the whole thing um, and so it's it's a really cool project that we're working on and like a good example of how you can use like lots of different functionalities from your MarTech stack to, you know, just continue to identify efficiencies and streamline those manual processes.
1: Yeah, I'm a big, big fan of direct mail. And I actually heard you mention it earlier when you were talking about working with for your sure. dad. Yes. I was, like, yes. was going to ask you if you believe in direct mail. It sounds like you guys are already implementing a strategy. Um, but for those of people that don't utilize direct mail today, can you give them just some information on how you think it helps overall with marketing?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, the thing that I always go back to is like, you know, back in the day when email was new, it was like email was the unique way to stand out in someone's inbox or mailbox. Um, but now like direct mail is more of the um, novelty. You you get so many emails and I, it, email is an effective wonderful tool, but when you combine email with a direct mail strategy, I really think that can take your campaign to the next level, um, get higher response rates, and just help you stand out overall. Like There are a lot of really cool companies like a Sendoso or an Alice, or like I was even saying a PFL or Lob that now allows you to easily do direct mail too, so you can use things like your lead scoring model um, to, to send a trigger-based direct mail piece when someone's engaged to a certain threshold where you can be a little smarter and more tactical and who you're marketing to with direct mail, because, you know, it is a more expensive um, tactic than an email campaign. But if you're if you're being smart about how you're doing it, if you're really targeting your list, especially with like an account based marketing strategy, I think you'll see higher results.
1: Yeah, I think when people first buy it, uh, I've used Sendoso, I've used Alice, I've used PFL. I love all of them. Like as long as I can send something and send it automated, I love it. (laughs) Um, Alice seems to have this AI in their tool that can apparently guess what gifts people like, which seems pretty unique. But I typically see sales reps using it, and then you know eventually, like marketers like you. You know, the champions right. of the world are the ones that really, you know, know how to build out these programs or actually automating that in their ABM. And right. I just think that's so powerful. I mean, because it's it's one thing when a sales rep has a quota to hit, uh, you know, their send. And I'll tell you right oh, yeah. now as a sales leader, they never hit it. Like they literally never right. hit
0: it. <laughs> right. So, um. <laughs> You yeah, know, I S- think Sendoso wanna- is what we're using. Sorry, Sendoso is what we're using internally, and we've even incorporated it into some of our um, nurture programs within Marketo. So, um, once again, like if they've hit a certain scoring threshold, if they've engaged with several of our emails in the nurture program, but haven't actually like raised their hand, we'll send an automated Sendoso touch out to them. Um, you know, trying to get them over the hump, and so that's something. Um, uh, um, Hallie Moser on my team recently did the implementation for Sendoso. She did a wonderful job with it. And now all of our campaign managers are incorporating different components of Sendoso into just their day-to-day campaigns. So it's been really cool to see the adoption of that internally.
1: That's super cool. So I have, you know, one more question. It sounds like you've mentioned the word business case a lot. And I know that (laughs) when it comes to data and marketing ops technologies, people are thinking, blow, blow, blow. But it's it's not it's not blow. You need to truly build business cases around why data and these systems are going to change your company. And if you could help us to, you know, a lot of these readers out here or, or viewers, um, they're gonna have to undertake this process of building business cases as well. And it sounds right. like your dad, even back right out of college, was making you yes. build business <laughs> cases. So. What kind of information can you give to help others who are building a business case for a data solution or a MarTech solution to get, you know, the eye of the team that's going to sponsor the program?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And to be honest, I've seen exactly what you were talking about, too, in terms of a bloat. So I've seen, you know... When you've been really strategic and you have an effective business case where you've partnered with the right internal stakeholders, like that, in my experience, is when a technology deployment goes right. But if it's just sort of, we need this tool and we need it now and we just need to get it signed, oftentimes I think that's where things sort of can go awry and then lead to the conversation that you're talking about, like, why did we buy this tool? Was it effective? A lot of times it's not the tool itself. It's just... They weren't necessarily ready. It wasn't the right tool. It didn't solve for all their needs. So the way I typically try to approach it is really from that strategic level. So I'll actually start with like internal conversations of all the necessary stakeholders who I think will be leveraging this tool or could possibly leverage the tool and really just try to understand what it is they're looking for, like what they need, what um, things that might be of service to them that I might not necessarily be thinking about in operations. Try to get all of those down and really even put together like a checklist um, or I guess it's more of that like formal RFP requirements document um, and circulate it with all of those stakeholders to make sure everyone's voice has been heard that we're all on the same page in terms of what we're looking for. And that's when I really start to send that out to a couple different vendors. So I typically talk to three or four vendors for every tool, um, make sure they really understand those requirements that we're looking for. Um, And then also um, sometimes I even will give them like a use case of a specific scenario we're trying to solve for internally and want them to come back with or to me with an example of how they can build that out, leveraging their tool. And that way, a lot of the work in terms of your business case is already even done for you up front. You have the requirements that you're looking for. You have all the stakeholders that you need to be involved with in this project. And you have a specific use case for a project of what you're trying to solve for um, written out to you in terms of the technology how it can solve for it. Um, So that's really where I start. And then I also recommend having like a project plan basically finished before even signing on the dotted line. So that way you don't have this back and forth in terms of we've signed. Why is it taking so long to stand up? What, who is the, um, owning what piece of the project? Like you want to be as buttoned up <laughs> before you sign so that internally you're just ready to, to go. Um, so that's sort of what I've learned from doing several different technology implementations in the way that I like to approach it.
1: Yeah, that's, it's a lot of hard work. And what people don't understand, I actually train my, my sellers. I say, you know, nine times out of 10, maybe even more than that, your customer's not going to do a proper business case. They're not going to, it's a lot of hard work. Like you're, whoever you work for in the last few, like they're lucky to have you. Because (laughs) that is something that most people when they're buying a solution do not take the time to interview stakeholders, get um, opinions of different departments that are going to help, understand how it's going to change things like, uh, you know, things that actually not just production, but like, how are they going to drive more pipeline? How are they going to close deals faster? How are they going to communicate with buyers in a more personalized way? And um, I I think that's a great uh, way to kind of segue into um, just the the end of our our session today. But I I, I know that, you know, if we have you on a couple more times, we're going to dive deep into some of the details of these things. And and we really appreciate you um, joining the show today. Uh, I think you were amazing. And, um, you know, (laughs) thank you so much.
0: No, thank you so much for the opportunity. I would love to come back and and dig deeper into a lot of these topics as well. So this is really a fun conversation for me.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And until next time.
0: Thank you.